Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, where we listen to and learn from the people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here's your host, Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Shy Day New York. Well, thank you for tuning in. Our guest today is Derek Walker. Derek is the founder of Brown and Browner Advertising, and he's the visionary behind the creative Kumite, a disruptive idea to bring the best, most diverse creatives together in a competition to solve brand problems. Derek, welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm doing well, you know, uh, as I like to say, pulverized and energized. <laughs> I'll take the pulverized part. So what, what is the Derek Walker story? Give us, give us a little taste of the journey. Um, I majored in journalism at the University of South Carolina, and this is the beginning of, of my journey is top 10% in, in, in USC has, well, I'm sorry, the University of South Carolina. We lost the right to call ourselves USC. How stupid. <laughs> We're older than you, than Southern Cal, but we lost the lawsuit. Dang. Anyway, <laughs> our school of journalism has always been a good advertising school. Mm. And I majored in advertising. Account service, as a matter of fact, because we didn't have a creative track back then. And I was president of the ad club when I graduated, top 10%, um, captain of the four A's, the AAF um, competition, student competition team. And I interviewed with nine CEOs in Atlanta mm. and never got a job. Mm. So now the rest of our, 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 four, our AAF team, the other nine or 10 people on that team, all of them got advertising jobs, but they were also all white. I was the only black guy. So I didn't get a job. I actually have the shortest interview known to mankind. I walked into an agency, receptionist left the desk, 200, 300 person agency, went back to get the CEO, came out, saw me and said, thank you for coming, but I don't think our clients are ready for a black copywriter. That was the end of my, so that was the shortest interview ever. I don't think anyone can top that because it, it was less than 20 seconds. Um, like a Mike Tyson knockout. Mm. Then I, um, this crazy company called Toys R Us hired me. Mm. Worked for them for a couple of years. Started doing marketing for them, getting to understand it and quit there and went to work for Pizza Hut. I was only going to work there for a little while. Blinked in 12 years later. Mm. I... Um, was helping to turn around a store at, in Peach in um, Buckhead at the corner of Howell Mill and Collier Road. Uh, I handled the marketing for parts of uh, Atlanta at the time. Mm. And Atlanta was a huge pizza market back then. And um, one of the drivers came in, he goes, I got to quit. And I was like, why? He goes, oh, I got a job and is paying so, so, so-and-so at this little agency in Florida called Crispin and Porter. Mm. I went, really? So man, cool. And we had talked advertising. So I said to ask him for samples and I got his black and white samples from the portfolio center. And I was at home looking at them and my wife walked by and she said, what are those? And I'm going, those are so-and-so's samples. And she looked at them. She looked at me. She goes, yours are better than this. So when are you going to the portfolio center? So the next day I went and registered for the portfolio center. Very next day, you know, wife is the boss. Went there, went to the portfolio center, Graduated, went to Kramer Crassel in Milwaukee. Paul Council was the CEO at the time. Peter was the president. So the headquarters was in Milwaukee. It has since moved to Chicago. Worked there for a bit under, and if you get a chance to meet Paul Council, was an amazing CEO. Just mm. amazing. Um, 
learned a lot in two years, left there, went to Falgren in Columbus, Ohio, working on McDonald's, mm. and working McDonald's and Dana Automotive parts at the same time. So oh, that's a, that's always a joy, you know, switching back and forth. Went left there and went to Timberland McLean in Dallas. I'll hold my tongue on that one. Uh, left there and went to TBWA Shy Day in Las Colinas. You and I have to talk about that something. I know, but I didn't, I don't, you and I weren't there at the same time, were we? But I we, don't think so. And uh, left Zimmerman with the Barry Brown, uh, small Quaker Oats agency, hmm. doing a lot of Quaker Oats products. Um, left there and went to radio, went, I went in-house to Radio Shack. You got questions, we got answers. Three years of Howie Long and Terry Hatcher spots and Ving Rames, Vanessa Williams, A-Rod and Daisy Fuentes, Shaq, Eric Benet, oh, Steve Irwin. Got to put Steve Irwin in there because we did a spot, well, we pitched the spot where for his radio controlled car before he died, where he was suggesting that every boy needed a dingo as a pet. (laughs) That was to see my boss's face when we presented that idea because we it was and so you can tell I ain't right in the head, but it, the line was every boy needs a dingo and <laughs> room erupted in laughter. But my boss is VP uh-huh. of advertising, Ray Shot. He's sitting there going, "No, you know lawsuits for for, for suggesting people buy dingoes." I was like, "Oh, okay, whatever." Um, worked there for a bit. Oh, Neil Armstrong also. We also worked with Neil Armstrong while we were there. We had a lot of celebrities. We blew money yeah. on celebrities like nobody's business. That was a great campaign. Yeah. Left there and went to IMC Square, which was um, a, a digital shop. Second copywriter, ACD on this little website. It's so funny how things come back around on PizzaHut.com. Oh, wow. So it's so funny to be sitting in the room with the client and you introduce yourself and they're like, you know, yeah, it's like 10 years later, they're like, we once had this guy named Derek Walker in the Atlanta Atlanta market. That was the funniest meeting because I really wasn't supposed to be talking because I'm the new guy and I needed to learn the Pizza Hut business. 12 years and I got to learn the Pizza Hut business. Oh, we'll talk about that one day. <laughs> and um, and halfway through, the COO looks at me. He goes, you're Derek Walker. I'm like, uh-huh. And the whole meeting changes then because, you know, now you're you're sitting there going, oh. And I'm sitting there looking at my boss who told me really to keep a low profile. And the CMO goes, do you know who you have working for you? And I'm suddenly, like. Suddenly you're, you're an insider. You're the, you've got the most <laughs> leverage on the business. Yes, but I was supposed to be quiet in that meeting and learn the Pizza Hut business. Oh, yeah. Um. That didn't happen, I, did it? No, I am. Yeah, I did. Oh God, I was. I'm, I, it's like my second week there, man. I'm sitting there going, "Oh, this is bad." And so I worked there for a few years, and I realized it's all smoke and mirrors. Mm. Digital was all smoke and mirrors, and not. When I mean when I say that, I, I came to understand that digital is still just advertising, mm. and. We sold clients a bad case of business when we told them that digital didn't need real copy or art direction and that we could get away with doing this for a cheaper price. We just, we just did the clients a disservice. Yeah. Um, so, the, of course, that's 2008, 2009. I'm about to, uh, they're having layoffs. And, uh, it's a wonderful timing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take my layoff package and I'm going to open me a shop. Okay. 
the second dumbest move of my life. <laughs> One should not open an ad agency during um, a depression. Although but, um, for Leo Burnett, Leo Burnett uh, opened up. Uh... Yes, it did because he was down the street from catalogs. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> and we have been chugging along, struggling like every small agency is right now. Um, we've gone almost mainly to virtual. Uh, and I say it's so funny is, but I'm virtual with people that I've worked with for five or six years or mm-hmm. seven or eight years. So, um, but it, I got to the point where I just, it was more fun to do it this way yeah. than to stay at agencies because we were too afraid. We're, there's so much fear in the industry. And and were you were you Brown and Browner from day one? Was that the name of the agency? Yes. So did you position yourself as a as a you know a black agency, an agency that specialized in diversity, or just that was the name? And you know who you, I, I got the name from Ed Wax, oh, yeah. former former president of this, the Four A's. In one of his one of his last few one of his last speeches, I don't know if it was his last, but it was. I they flew me to New York to see him to hear the speech. And in the, in the middle of it was like, a, he was doing a farewell tour more or less. And he said, um, the world is turning brown and browner. Mm. Either we learn to listen to, to speak to it or we get left behind. And I thought, holy crap, that's kind of a cool concept. So when I went to open the agency, I had a partner, um, Jerome Jones, and he's the light-skinned black person. I was a little darker. Mm. And we were arguing about the name. Well, we were in arguing. We were trying to figure out what we wanted to name it. And Jones, Walker, Walker, Jones, no iteration of our, our two last names excited us. And he, I had my arm on the table, and he set his hand down next to me. And I looked over at it, and I went brown and browner. And I told him the story, and he was like, yeah, that's it. And it's, we're not a black agency. We're an agency owned by black people. Mm. Um. I wasn't trained to compete for a slither of the pie. I was trained to compete for the pie. And I refused to, I, you know, I think it's time that the, the black agencies get a, get a shot at AOR, if they're going to be an AOR, or, or just general market work. So, no, we're not a black agency. I just use my black insights as, as a superpower and an advantage because I see the world slightly different. Um, we are definitely not. And I haven't registered us as a minority vendor and mm-hmm. will not. And that's on me. That's a personal decision on my part, because I think when I register as a minority vendor, clients will only give me that portion of the business. Right. Right. And I've made my money and my career doing all of the business. So, so I want to get into the Kumite. Let's talk about this thing. How, what is it? Let me hear it from, from, from Derek Walker's point of view. It is a true advertising competition. We have award shows, and there's nothing wrong with those that award us on the work we do for clients at a certain time and place in the universe. But we also have a bias in the awards, so we designed a competition that eliminates that bias. If you work on, and this is not disparaging Nike, but if you work on Nike and somebody else works on the toilet cleaner, they shouldn't be judged the same, but we do judge them the same. It's like, okay, be just as creative as Nike mm-hmm. with the toilet cleaner. And that's hard to do. So what we did is we designed a competition where one client presents one brief to a multiple group of teams 
And those teams over four days work on that assignment and produce ideas off of that. What it does is it allows us to judge everybody on the same standard. We always scream. Well, we don't scream about it. We whisper about a, a, a fair playing field, a level playing field. This is a level playing field. You don't get to bring your partner. We we team you up with that. We bring in diverse creators and we team you up as we see fit. And what that does is it, it takes away that crutch. If I'm, I've leaned heavily on a, a, a group of art directors and I have over my career. So it's easy for us to create. So, all right. So let's, let's keep working on this. So we find client A. Mm-hmm. Client A agrees to the, to the Kumite. What happens next? They develop a brief while we recruit talent. And what we're going to do is we're only going to allow a resume and three samples. I don't, and this will make some people's heads spin, but I don't want, I don't care if it's spec work because we're talking about bringing people in on potential, not on what I can beat you up as a client to do. You know, that those are two separate things. And I want to, so we want to bring people in based on their potential to produce great work. Work that, I hate to use the phrase, but it disrupts things. It scares people. It makes them uncomfortable because it's so far, it's out there. Um, Can you imagine pitching the, uh, I'm not a widened fanboy, but can you imagine pitching the Old Spice idea? Mm. You know, or Squatty Potty's video? Right. You know, that work had to scare somebody because I still look at it and go, oh my God. But that work pretty much is, is more what spec work looks like. It's, so to answer your question, we, while the client signs on, they create a brief for a project. We are hoping they give us a hard project. Right. And, 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 before, and before we get into that project, too, I think what's also a bit of a secret weapon here is the pool of talent. It's just going to be black creatives, people of color creatives. That's it. You know, no, whites, too. Oh, real? Okay. And you have to have white people. <laughs> I don't believe I said that. We're in that moment. It's okay. <laughs> we have to get comfortable with the uncomfortable, right? Think of it as, think of it as advertising street ball. Hmm. Mm. And if you've ever played street basketball, nobody cares who steps on the court. Or street. Or street. It's all about whether or not you can play. So if we exclude white people, then a group of white creators can say, well, we didn't get to play. Mm. We're saying, no, 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 no. You take your cons, one um, super platinum gold lion self and bounce right on this court. <laughs> All right. And let's see. And I think of it as, um, what's the park in New York? Rutgers? Yeah, Rucker Park. Yeah. Rucker Park. You see NBA players playing against college players, playing against high school players, playing against, uh, you know, if you're big enough to get on the court, the court allows you on. Now, whether you stay on the court is dependent on your ability. I have sat across from white creatives and smiled because they think of, uh, because of my skin color, I'm, 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 I'm an easy win. I ain't no easy win. <laughs> so I wanted the contest to have that. It's truly fair. I'm not excluding anyone. We're not excluding anyone. What we're saying is, if you think, and there's that thought, 
there's that lie of not enough in advertising that black people aren't creative enough, experienced enough, know enough about advertising, know enough, aren't um, talented enough. Let's, let's see if that's true. Let's put everybody in the same room with the same project and let them shoot it out. I like no it. exclusions. Hunger Games on behalf of the clients. Yes. Very but there's no blood. Absolutely very. no blood. There may be crying, though. <laughs> I, I, I believe there will be some crying. You know, you, you, you mentioned something uh, just in, in uh, what we were chatting about that I've always found uh, hard to understand, and maybe you can unpack it for me. So we say that, uh, and, and, and maybe your controversy is rubbing off on me, so some controversy. Uh, mm-hmm. We're saying, you know, uh, we don't think this is the industry that, uh, let's say, black creatives uh, are not as creative as white creatives, right? That That's a, an industry... Uh, convention, but look at our pop culture. What is driving pop culture? What has been driving pop culture for you know? You can go back to the to the jazz age, to the to the, the crazy minstrel days, and you look at our current pop culture. I mean, all of my heroes, whether it was uh, Sanford and Son, whether it was uh, uh, Jimmy Walker, Richard Pryor, uh, you know, you name it, on and on. Black culture creates our culture. So why doesn't that happen in our industry? I think it's um, because they, they, they do the old record thing. You remember when Pat Boone sang uh, um, Little Richard songs? Mm. You know, we still do that. It's so funny that you brought that up, that Ed Creighton, a very good writer that was at Goodby and DDB in um, Dallas, but he's now down in Louisiana freelancing, was, he's one of the best writers I've ever seen. He did, a, he did an ad where it says, you'll take our culture, our language, our music, our art, our food, and everything else, but you want nothing to do with Black people. Mm. There's a power in what we do as a society, as a community. But instead of seeing us as, as an ally in the, in the job, we're a resource to be borrowed off of. Mm. And it makes you smarter if you know hip-hop culture, you know? You know? And this is why I'm not a fan of diversity of thought. Because diversity of thought still relies on the experience of seeing the world through a certain lens. Mm-hmm. And what some of these creatives are doing successfully is they're seeing, starting to see the world through the, the lens of hip-hop or R&B or Black America and converting it into work. There's no accident that you listen to most of these, uh, a majority of the TV spots, and they have old Motown songs. Oh, yeah. You know, it's those songs, they work. Um, I don't know why this happens, and I don't think anyone can explain it. It's a phenomenal. Well, somebody's going to claim they can explain it, but it's that's BS. Mm-hmm. The idea, though, is it's always been a pattern, you know. And I mean, seriously, Elvis, the Beatles, yeah, you go, you come through time. They borrowed a portion of our our culture. And folks give them all the accolades for doing it. I mean, I, th- I guess it leads to where we are in this, you know, Black Lives Matter moment. I mean, in my lifetime, this somehow feels different. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm, like I said, I, I'm, I'm pulverized on the one hand, but I'm also energized. I mean, is this different? Is this a different? Moment? Oh yeah, this is uh, every moment. Oh, I'm sorry, every moment for me is different. Every moment for us is different. I think we finally reached that threshold. Eight minutes and 49 seconds is a long time to watch a man die. Mm. 
And that look on the officer's face made it worse. Mm. The indifference, you know? And I think that touched, we talk about this in advertising, about touching the humanity of, of people. His arrogance and his defiance touched everybody. You know, it was like he didn't care. You cannot look at that man's face and say he gave a, a crap about what he was doing. And he thought he could get away with it with a camera in his face. Yeah. And that touches all of us because he took a life and he took it so casually. So I'm sort of saddened that we have to get here this hard. Well, I, you know, listen, I really been uh, reflecting on this a lot. Um, you know, hearing from, you know, the black people in our agency, the people of color in our agency. Uh, I mean, this has been a real uh, moment. What I'm seeing, though, is uh, in advertising terms, I'm seeing reach and frequency. Yes. I'm seeing that the protests, and this is being borne out in some of the data. You look at the Pew data that uh, close to 70% of America approve of what's, uh, what's happening with the protests, why the protests are happening. So that's, that's the reach. And I think that the fact that it's not stopping. No. You know, your timing right now, today, can you get a Super Bowl assignment? I wish I could. That would be, I think. I really do. I think when you look at how bad Super Bowl spots have been the last three years, and to be clear, what we're asking in the sponsorship fee, the range, is less than what Doritos paid for one spot mm-hmm. for a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Doritos paid $1 million for a spot. They paid a person or a team $1 million. Then they spent 4.5 on the time. And the last time they did it, they did two spots. So that was $2 million spent on, on the spot, on two spots, plus what, 9 million roughly on media buy. So they spent almost $11 million. Mm-hmm. And people go, and the resistance has been, well, what's an idea worth? I'm like, Doritos told you what an idea was worth. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, I, I think not only is your idea uh, got some financial advantages, like you're saying, but let's talk about the PR story. This yeah. is a great story. In this moment, you know, we have the eruption of Black Lives Matter, and then the client has the opportunity to actually do something about it. Yes. And it, 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 the PR is the high ground for a brand. Mm-hmm. It's the absolute high. Because there's a value above and beyond just cost. Yes. We're talking a minimum of 12 ideas Mm. produced. That's nice. But to be able to say that you're actually addressing diversity and inclusion, that you're driving change in in an institution. And I didn't get to explain. I didn't explain this. The Kumite has an element of diversity because we're bringing in different people. So what you get to see is... What happens when you have a diversity? Mm. And this is a lesson for the agencies, the holding companies, and the client. If in four days you can get great ideas from a, a diverse group of strangers, imagine what happens if your teams at your agencies and your, your holding companies are diverse and there are different thoughts and ideas coming into that room. So, I, so just, to, just to riff off this, you're demonstrating future work. So yes. we're having all these conversations about future of work because, oh, there's our other crisis, COVID, that's right here, too, that mm-hmm. has thrown everything into, uh, uh, in, into question. So suddenly you've got this, um, I don't know, like this portable group. It's, it's almost a pop-up agency. 
I, yes, but I don't want to use it like that because I respect and love the agencies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this isn't a replacement for them. What I'm hoping is the client comes and the client gets to judge the work. Mm-hmm. And I hope in their judge, judging committee, the client brings their agency. And the agency looks out and goes, ooh, look at these people we can recruit from. Mm-hmm. Look at these people we can, we, can, we can lean on. It's a lesson. You know, we sit up and we preach and preach and preach diversity and inclusion. And I don't think we're changing hearts that way. Mm-hmm. So let's spend four days watching it work. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to always work well, but it's going to work. So we can tweak and move stuff, but the agency has to be present. I honest to God believe that Mm. because the agencies are the ones who need to have the teams. So Derek, do you put the agencies in the four day process or are they on the tail end as, you know, uh, part of the client approval moment? They can be both. Whoever from the client side, if the client says, I want my agency to come and watch these people work for four days. Imagine what the hiring decision is now. Mm-hmm. You get to see people work for four days. I'm leaving that option up to the client. I'm not going to the client, the brands and saying, you should make your agency show up. Because when we make agencies do anything, they drag their, they go in there screaming and kicking with their heels dragged in. And no. <laughs> so the client should say, we're going to be here. And I think for CMOs, this is an opportunity to better understand how creative teams work mm. because you can sit and walk through or your people can sit and walk through and see the process has always been shrouded. Right. You know, they hand a brief off and the creatives go away and work. So this is on so many levels. We're saying we're going to leave it open. We want to film it from day one to the very end, every minute of it, mm. because as we need to start chipping away at this image that, we can make creatives work by pinning them to a desk right. or the, the creative process is something, you know, people go, Oh, I can write copy in five hours. Yeah, you can, but it's going to be crap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. There are very few great copywriters or great ideas and watching the process means then I can figure out the value of the process. Mm-hmm. And you understand this. I don't think clients understand the value of what we deliver sometimes because we're so poor at explaining it. Right. Right. Um, I, I want people to be able to watch it because I worked at an agency that actually had him had client one on one. So some contact when they got a new client, that client's contact was required or strongly suggested that they spend a week or two at the agency working with the team. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a simple thing to bring 28 people together, let them work on a brief, and then let the client judge at the end. But the implications are, are much more than this, because what I'm saying is, dear clients, show up at day one. Mm-hmm. Let your people wander through and ask questions and interact. Then go back to your agencies and go, this is how we want to work. Mm-hmm. We, we want our people to be able to show up at your agency for more than just meetings. You know, I think there's some people out there whose heads have blown up over this idea because that's blasphemy. But it's kind of cool when I think the brand side people feel like they're on the team. Yes. Yes. And it's not us against them or them against us. It's we're all in this together trying to reach client customers. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I've got so many. I don't have so many. I've, I've got an idea in my head that this is just is not just 
a straight competition. It's a it's an opportunity for us to learn. Love that. Now, I, w- I know that your original vision for this was, uh, you know, trying to get out to a resort, mm-hmm. uh, get out to the four seasons, but do it in the off season. So you get a four seasons for the price of two seasons. Listen, I was, uh, I have some friends that are in travel. But the, thing I, was, but the thing I was thinking now, is it actually, rather than uh, have the physical place, can you do this, you know, via Zoom now? Can no. This, no. You still think no. it's got to be physical? I love remote working. But if we're going to take a group of strangers and throw them together, let's not ignore the dynamics of being physically in the same room with a stranger. Mm. Human beings read body language. We, we, we pretend they don't. But it's not just the chest down up. Mm. It's the entire body language. And I love Zoom for certain things. But for this, and, and think about it, we, we, we got to get people to know each other. Mm. And we play better together in the same room. Now, I have thought hard about this because I lost the sponsor because I wouldn't go virtual. Ah. And I think it sort of, it lets everybody off the hook. Mm. You know, people go, oh, great work can be created. Those great work can be created virtually if those two people have worked together before because they know each other and they can bounce. And there's a, there's a, there's a harmony. Right. But what we're talking about is bringing people to keep it fair is bringing people together who haven't worked together before. And I think the physical part of that, there's an energy to it. And you've sat in the room and you know this, you're creative. There's an energy when two people are in the room and ideas are bouncing or three people or four people that I have yet to get on a Zoom. You know, I'm not, I haven't gotten off of a Zoom yet and gone, damn, that was some fun. You know, I've gotten off the Zoom and gone, Dear God, I hope I never do that again. <laughs> but I don't um, feel that today. No, 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 no. <laughs> and the other part to it is, how do we get to know each other on Zoom? We really don't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what if sometimes creators just sit in a room together? They don't say anything. They're just sitting <laughs> in the room. Mm-hmm, how do you, true. I don't want to do that on a Zoom, man. Dear God. <laughs> you know. And, and, and by the way, I think, uh, you know, so we, we, we work with Hilton. I mean, uh, this would be a godsend uh, to hotel clients. Yeah. You know? Now, the resort thing was because we wanted it self-contained. I didn't want to go to L.A. or New York or Chicago or Atlanta or Vegas where we get distracted. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a concentrated amount of time. This is not how the creative process should normally work. It shouldn't take, it shouldn't be short like this. This shouldn't be four days. And we're not talking about finished work. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying you're going to get finished layouts and body copy and all that. No, this is the idea. Mm-hmm. And, and it's got to be worked on later. So the idea is wherever we are, they need to be self-contained. Mm-hmm. I'm a morning person. My morning starts at 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning. So if I want to go down to work at two o'clock or three o'clock in the morning, I should be safe to do that, you yeah. know? And I want some place where they, you can get on the elevator, go downstairs, your workroom is there. You use your card and you go in your workroom and you are safe. Mm-hmm. I, the COVID thing, we're going to, we're going to make sure everybody is tested and we're going to try and maintain whatever the CDC suggests we do. Because I don't want anyone sick. Mm-hmm. I don't want any 
but I don't want anyone hurt going from a hotel 20, 30 blocks to a, to a facility. Mm-hmm. And God knows what can happen. I would be sick. Right. I, you know, I just literally would, it, it would, it would almost kill me. So it's I figure if you have a, a bit like what the NBA is trying with, uh, with, with Disney. Yeah. Interesting. You know, the, the idea though is just that I think we underestimate the human, the power of human contact. Mm-hmm. You know, Sometimes it's, uh, like I said, sometimes it's just being in the presence of another human being focuses you back to what you're doing. Yeah. You know, I'm at the house. There's, there's TV, there's work, there's side projects, there's other things. But I'm sitting in a, in a yurt. So, well, the last agency I worked physically worked at that wasn't mine, they had yurts. Mm. And, you know, you're sitting in the yurt. And you're kind of relaxed and you're laying on soft pillows, but then somebody else comes in and it's like, oh, and you feel, you feel that energy. Right. And I don't know how to duplicate that virtually, yeah. nor do I know how to explain it to people, what we creators do, you know? Um, the process is so unique for each, each person, but all of us really do feed off of somebody, you know? Yeah. Let me ask, you know, you call up, you go, let me ask you, you, you go in somebody's office and go, let me ask you a question. You know the answer to the question, but you just want to be by somebody. Yeah, no, I, I think that's clear. And I think, uh, I think it's doable, like you say. Mm-hmm. Well, now I want to, oh, go ahead, please. Don't forget the money prize. Okay. Money. Every, every, particip- every participant will be compensated. That's good. On a sliding scale. First place gets a lot more than fourth place. <laughs> But the idea being we, we're sending a message to both agencies and brands that ideas are worth something. Yes. And it must this it reinforced over and over again that ideas are worth something. We are also covering airfare, hotel, and food for participants in the fee because there's an economic aspect to diversity and inclusion that we don't consider. We hold these events for hiring and or finding new talent in New York or LA or Chicago not realizing people from Iowa or South Carolina have to fly in. Right, right. You're asking them to spend money for the privilege of getting a job interview. That's sort of stupid. I'm sorry, you know. Mm. And sidebar, and this is the folks in Charlotte are going to kill me. Charlotte is our biggest city from Columbia, 78 miles, 80 miles. The freelance rate is as low as $24 an hour. Mm. Wow. Those people aren't going to be able to spend what's a, what's a hotel near Times Square costs a day. <laughs> yeah. What's the, what's the, what's the fee for attending any of our industry events where there are going to be job fairs? A thousand, twelve hundred. We have been excluding people just on the economics alone. And um, we can't keep doing that. And then saying, well, nobody showed up. I love him to death. But when, Mendenhall, Mendenhaus. Who, Jonathan? Yeah. Put forth that invitation. I was crying. He goes, hey, I'm going to be in Cannes. If you're looking for a job, come by and show us your book. Hold on a second, please. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to fly from Columbia, South Carolina to Cannes. How much is that ticket going to cost? A couple thousand. Yeah. Then I got to get a room, okay? All to bring by my book. He meant well. And there were people there that could show their books that mm-hmm. were going to be there. But for the majority of the people, that's price inhibited. 
costing him a day. It was like, I, Lord. And I chuckled when he said it because I was, I was like, he means well, but he doesn't realize. I called my friends and let I go, hey, hey, so-and-so's looking for people. And if you bring your book buying cans, they'll, they'll look at it. And then there's silence on the other end of the phone. It's like, how do I get the can? Well, I, 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 well I, I also think your idea of having the brand pay for the, you know, the flights, the room, the board, it's liberating. That yeah. means that for uh, a fee that is far less expensive than um, brands are typically paying, agencies even, you can get people who are not thinking about the, you know, prosaic stuff of, geez, if I make this much in freelance, I can't afford lunch or, or I'm going yeah. to tonight. People can focus on the brand challenge, not their life challenge. Exactly. Listen, I, I think it's a very disruptive, you know, not our propaganda here, but uh, uh, I think it's, it's just a disruptive way of looking at things. And I think that's really cool. Very yeah. smart. Very smart. All right. So thank you for your journey. That, is, that was excellent. And, thank um, you. You got to give us one piece of advice now. So, and, uh, you know, we've got uh, a lot of uh, CMOs who listen to the show. Uh, we're grateful for them. we got some rising talent on the client side. Um, so I think that's who you should address your advice to. It's not to say our other fans won't benefit from the wisdom of Mr. Walker here, but uh, what would you tell a CMO today? I mean, we've, we're, we're in this moment. You know, we've got uh, a fantastic uh, letter that uh, our friend Bennett, uh, you know, has put together with his team. Mm-hmm. Omar Johnson's letter uh, came out uh, yesterday in the New York Times. I'm a CMO. I'm listening. Diversity is your friend. It is, it's good business. It just is. If you look at black and brown people as consumers, they are both blacks and Hispanics are super consumers as far as their spending power. They may not have the earning power, but they they definitely have the spending power. Now I can appeal to the morality of this situation, and I do, but on the business side, there are so many places where having a different idea or a different view may actually earn you more money. Um, and I think that's what businesses are in business to do. I don't believe in diversity. I, I don't believe we should, we should be telling people just hire more, hire with a purpose. I think brands have got to be less afraid of doing what's right right now. Mm. Don't worry about being polished or professional. I don't like a lot of the statements coming out of the companies and the holding companies because they're polished. They're not human. You know, there's no emotion attached to it. And that's the key to diversity is understanding that if you're going to reach human beings, you got to have a diverse group of human beings. Mm. And that is what our business is in the end. I'm not a big proponent of telling you I can make your cash register ring. Because you can't make a cash register ring if you don't win the hearts of the people you're trying to get the money from. Very few people do business with a brand they hate. So you have to get them to, if they don't like or love you, they will not spend money with you. And part of that is understanding their community. And no, let me, this is CMOs, no, no, no. Biracial couples in commercials is not diversity. I have nothing against biracial couples. I think that is a great place to be, but it shows a lack of understanding of the communities you're dealing with. Mm. So it, it, it costs you, it can cost you business. If you're just thinking, well, we just throw a black and a white person together. And there we solve that diversity thing. 
No, it's how we think. So embrace diversity, embrace being uncomfortable, but most of all, stop being afraid. Mm. You're going to make mistakes. It's how you respond to a mistake that matters. And that's where we, we have to be. We just have to be fearless. Mm. Eric, I could talk to you all day, but thank you. we can't. Diversity is your friend. I love that. That is really good. And uh, the Kumite, this is a big idea. So I yes. really hope that uh, people listening will uh, give you a shot to show uh, what, what you can do for their brands. And uh, thank you so much for, for chatting. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This was fun. All right. That's us, Hal. That was really good. You've been listening to the Disruptor Series podcast brought to you by TBWA Shite Day New York. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashiteandy.com.